0: He's handsome and smart. A true blue Jets and Knights fan. A part of Australia's Hollywood royalty. From General Hospital to Occupation Rainfall. NCIS LA to All Saints. Newcastle Live Radio's very own Novacastrian in Hollywood. It's time to cross to LA to catch up with Zach Garrod. And it is Tinseltown's Night of Night. The Oscars are underway at the Dolby Theatre in... Los Angeles. Joining me on the line now is the man who knows all about the Oscars. Good morning and welcome, Zach Garrett.
1: Good afternoon, Tracy. Yeah, Tinsletown's sparkling night nice today. They've hosed the footpath off down a Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> so Got gone. rid of all the homeless
0: people. It's looking good.
1: Yeah, they, they do that, yes, they do. Oh, <laughs> boy, yeah, they, they tend to be uh, quite forthright with that because uh, Hollywood in particular does have a, a lot of homeless people, particularly in very little blocks. Like, it sort of goes in these little blocks. Um yeah, and there's an interesting sort of hodgepodge of cool, great areas, and then it gets a little sketchy, then really cool and great, then it gets a little sketchy, um, all within like a matter of 100 feet or so. But they always manage to, to polish it up for, for this evening's occasion.
0: It's quite interesting, isn't it? Now, the Aussies, we've got 10 nominees tonight.
1: Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, There's, I think Bodhismit McFee is sort of at the front of the, the line there with, with uh, the potential to win. But we have a wonderful cross section of talent uh, nominated across a lot of categories. I can't remember if we were nominated in makeup and I and, um, oh, will get into it later. But the, the makeup categories because that, that was some of the craft categories that the arts and crafts categories I should say that were actually bumped from the broadcast. Um But yeah, mm-hmm. it's wonderful to see some of the training nominees. And of course, the Paul Kidman for, um, for playing Lucille Ball and. In, um, in, in being the Ricardos, which is an incredible story, actually, besides the fact that, that Nicole was fantastic. It's a really incredible story.
0: It really is, isn't it? I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but uh, by all accounts, it is uh, It is some spectacular acting from her.
1: Oh, it is, yeah. No, it is, absolutely. And when you consider that it all sort of takes place in Los Angeles in the 50s, all around this, this controversy in the 1950s uh, where they supposedly found a, um, uh, what was it, it was a, an enrollment letter or something like that, where she ticked the box about supporting the Communist Party. <laughs> and, of course, Izzy Arnaz was famously driven out of Cuba. Um, where he family was driven out of Cuba when the Communists took over and he had family executed. So, you know, the, the, it's all about the fallout around that. But, of course, it's right in the midst of McCarthyist era of the United States. So while the Reds Under the Bed scare was happening, which is, of course, in videos like Trumbo and things like that, Lucille Ball was right in the middle of that while she was America's iconic sweetheart. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a very, it's a very good story. Okay, Simmons is amazing in it, and of course Javier Bardem is always extraordinary.
0: Now we've got lots of nominees. There's lots of films that have been uh, nominated. Give me all the goss. What goss have you got from over there?
1: It, it's looking like Coda is probably going to walk away with it. Now Coda it stands for the the, uh, the community of death. Um, sorry, the community of deaf adults. I think I've got that right. So it's an acronym. And it's about a It's about a deaf family um, who who's, uh, who lives on the east coast, and the father is a fisherman. And it's about them and their community getting along. Um, and it's it's quite a it's quite a beautiful. So it's very fun, and very sweet, and very easy to watch. It's a very it's just immensely entertaining and digestible film. Um, and it it cleaned up at the Independent Spirit Awards recently, and it actually won a few SAG awards for acting as well. So it's a fair chance they reckon to walk away with the best picture domination, even though the um the director Sean uh, Sean hedler is actually not nominated for best director they do think it's a pretty good chance of walking away with the best picture goal so it's again it's another one of these little indie films Mm. that's patronizing i mean no film is little when you get this sort of uh, um, success it's one of these films that were made on a very modest budget with just a very solid cast of actors of course the leading actors are of course death themselves and it's it's just a beautiful story that's just easy to watch, and I hope um, you know richly deserves the the awards. I mean, my favourite film of this whole crop. I had a couple. I really loved Dune, but also loved. Uh, I'm, I'm a Dune fan anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I, I loved. Um, I really loved King Richard. I thought Will Smith was fantastic. Again, a beautiful story. Um, Power of the Dog is extraordinary and beautiful to watch. So it's a good cross section of movies. But if Coda wins. It's well-deserved. It's great to see independent cinema like this doing so
0: well. It really is. Now, we've obviously seen a drop in audiences. You know, we saw it uh, already with people just not, not being interested in these awards ceremonies. What, yeah. do you, what do you think the Oscars, do you think they'll do okay? Or, uh, or I mean, they've dropped a, a few of the awards from the telecast, um, as you mentioned. You know, we know that June's already got four awards, but uh, they were all announced yeah. before the broadcast. Do you think this is a good idea or a bad idea? I,
1: I think they're missing they missing things here. I, I don't. See, I think it was fairly hand fisted in its approach, personally, because they a great example. Samuel Jackson got the Governor's Award for Lifetime Achievement in film. It's Samuel Jackson. He's one of the highest earning actors in box office history. One of the most successful actors of the box office, mm. and he was given his award yesterday. And his speech was basically filmed like like you know uh, like a concert from the audience um, and put up oh on, my God. on Twitter. So this is one of the most, like, he's been nominated for one Academy Award for Pulp Fiction, but he's an icon. And if they wanted to tap into popular culture and tap into a popular audience, you show Samuel L. Jackson receiving his deserved honorary award. So it's things like that that they've missed. Now, Wanda Sykes and Regina Hill and uh, Amy Schumer are hosting, and they're, they're great choices. They're very funny, and they're right, on, they're right on the button. But it's things like this that connect it to cinema and connect to the lineage and history of cinema that they're missing. Hans Zimmer like iconic composer for the films, Gladiator, things like that. Um, he won his first Academy Award for Dune in 30 years. So it's 30 years since he won us won an Oscar. So Hugh and John Williams and James Newton are probably these three most famous film composers of contemporary times. Um, and he won his first Academy Award in 30 years. And of course, it was Bob from the broadcast, the hair and makeup teams, the editing teams, Things like this, people who construct and make the films, like hair and makeup in particular. Yeah. Like uh, on Occupation Rainfall, Lawrence McQuarrie, who played, um, played uh, Gary in, in the film. He's a famous prosthetics actor, a great Kiwi actor, but he's, he's famous for, for his prosthetic work. He'd be there at 3 o'clock in the morning getting ready, and the makeup team would be there at 2 o'clock getting everything ready to put on him. Then they work a full 14, 16-hour day. So at the very least, it's nice to pay that recognition. Bumping those awards is not going to bring the viewers back. It's about connecting to viewership, and they're trying that with this new popular award. So they've got most popular film of the year, which is basically, what movie did the audience like the most? And, you know, judging think the box office, Spider-Man No Way Home, great mm. fun, is probably going to walk away with that. So that's how they're trying to connect to it, because Coda and Spider-Man No Way Home <laughs> are total yeah, totally
0: different. The yeah.
1: yeah, they're in different hemispheres as far as they're concerned, um, production-wise and, of course, monetarily. So the Oscars are trying to, to stay relevant in any way they possibly can. Rachel Zegler, who, for West Side, who's phenomenal in West Side Story, wasn't invited to the Academy Awards. And then when there was an outcry, they, they said, oh, no, she's coming to present. So it's things like that, they're trying, to, they're trying to connect to the audience in these sort of weird, clumsy kind of ways. And they're going to have to revisit it, because last year they only had like 10 million viewers across the U.S., and... Justifiably so. There were yeah. more important things happening last year than a movie awards ceremony. But um, but you would have thought that this year they might have had a few more ideas on board.
0: You'd think so. Um, one of the first awards, one of the big ones, is um, Ariana DeBoss has won. She's taken home yeah. the Oscar for, uh, for playing Anita in West Side Story. Now, she's only the second actor ever to have won an Oscar for a Steven Spielberg production. That is incredible.
1: Yeah, Spielberg, very rarely, this is a really interesting sort of point of trivia, Spielberg wins Oscars himself, but very rarely do his cast win Oscars because his movies are so beautifully constructed and so incredibly, um, incredibly produced to create a whole narrative and a whole story. There's not really a single actor that really carries the whole film. Like, a great example is the dyad between Tom Hanks and Leo DiCaprio and Gashka, if you can, they're both yeah. phenomenal in that movie. But they're both great, you know, they're both leading actors, so who do you pick? So it, it's rare for someone to win for a Spielberg film, but he, of course, wins all the time. <laughs> he, wins, he wins regularly. He's won a few now and he got nominated quite often. Um, Mark Rylance won for Bridge of Spies a couple of years ago and he was amazing in that movie. Um, but yeah, it, it's not that often that a Spielberg. Film <laughs> presents a best uh,
0: a best acting gong. It's just incredible. It really is. You're with Tracy Mack on Newcastle live. We're talking with Zach Garrett live from LA now. Zach, we had an honorary Novacastrian make some big news over there overnight. Of course, Tim Zhu won his fight in uh, Minneapolis. How how's that been um, been taken over there? Yeah,
1: it was sort of on the periphery a little bit with, with as far as it's concerned because he, he sort of was. And unknown, in the, for want of a better term, like for us, we'd be mm. phenomenal. We know how great he is. Um, but here, that was still sort of a bit of an unknown. Um, but never since he, he won, it has been across all the ESPN airwaves. And I was talking about the Australian guy and, of course, Kostja, like the mm. guy up behind Kostja, where he might go from this point. So the victory, and particularly coming back from that first round knock. It was the mm. first round he got knocked. Yeah, out, first round, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, to come back from that, they're saying, and, and win unanimously mm. as well, um, was quite a quite a big statement. So people are quite a, a well aware of Tim Zoo now.
0: That's great to hear. It's fantastic. They are in Santa Monica at the moment. Um, they're about to head back. They're obviously on the uh, the famous the infamous twelve o'clock flight out of LA. I think it's eleven fifty five, isn't it? <laughs>
1: Eleven fifty five. Be at the
0: airport by eight fifty
1: five. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Four listen. hours in traffic. Fourteen hours in the plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
0: I was going to say, listen to you and I. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look. Um, best of luck to them traveling home, and uh, no doubt, exactly. my friend, you will be seeing uh, you'll be seeing them over there very very soon, without a doubt. Now, June has just won for best sound, um, so uh, they're cleaning up already, my friend. They're cleaning up. Now, tell me they will about very well. tell me about Clarence Thomas.
1: <laughs> so we touched on this last week very briefly. So he was admitted to hospital. He's a Supreme Court judge, been on the Supreme Court bench since about the early 90s, I want to say. Like, he was appointed under Bush, under Bush 41. Um, sorry, under Bush 42. Um, uh, so I, I think he's been on the bench now for, you know, close on 30 years. He was admitted to hospital last week with a, with a non-disclosed infection. Now, as the week's gone on, some text messages have been revealed between his wife, Ginny Thomas, and then Chief of Staff of the Trump administration, Mark Meadows. Here we he goes again. Now, of course, again. remember the calamity. <laughs> yeah. this, is really, this is very interesting. This is quite serious. Now, this is the, obviously the calamity of the 2020 election into the handover to the Biden administration. You know, I nearly saw democracy fall apart in this country. We're talking about the Chief of Staff of an administration that was riddled with crises, and, of course, tried to overturn a legitimate election, being contacted by the wife of the Supreme Court Justice. Ginny, Ginny Thomas was speaking to Mark Meadows and saying that the criminal, and this is a quote from message the criminal Biden family will be arrested and locked up in barges off Gitmo. That's one of the exchanges. Mm-hmm. And then it went on to say, you need to buy time, we need to mobilise the army, this isn't hyperbole. This is what she said to the to the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who has since come out on things like Four Corners and other, other wonderful uh, current affair programs and said how terrifying it was during that transitional period from the election on November 5th to the transition in January. Um, so you're talking about someone who was married to one of the highest judicial... the, the highest judicial uh, uh, place in the United States, one of the most powerful arms... of of the separation of powers, saying, speaking to the presidential office, and basically, you can say it straight up, they were trying to coordinate a way to overturn, well, she was trying to instigate a way to overturn the election. Mark Meadows, I think, had a more circumspect view, but she was quite adamant about this. Now, Clarence Thomas voted against disclosing communications from the White House on January 6th, when that was presented to the Supreme Court. He was the only dissenting vote. Oh, Amy Coney Barrett, who was of course appointed by Trump, voted for it and other conservatives, but Kavanaugh, they all voted for the disclosure. He was the only. he was the only um uh, the only judge to vote against it. So he was the only dissenting vote. And it's quite extraordinary. now you're still seeing in light, okay, well, what has occurred. That's essentially, What he was trying to repress, people are uh, assuming, and I think it's a fair assumption. Mm. So now people are saying his position on the bench is surely untenable. Has to be. This is a complete, yes, complete betrayal of his of his duty as a judge. How can he be impartial when your wife is essentially parroting uh, QAnon theory? The the phrasing, the dialogue, the the way she was, the 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 perspicacity of her statements were all driven by this sort of QAnon dogma. And it's it's very clear in the annotation of it, which you can see through some, all the news sources over here. So this is really, really serious, and it's going to be very interesting to see what Merrick Garland, uh, the current attorney general, does.
0: It really is. Uh, it's quite horrifying. Now, we've also got a Republican uh, rep from Alabama who's really put Trump in it as well.
1: Yeah, my, my, my brooks.
0: Oh,
1: my God. So, OK, um, <laughs> let's start with this. So Alabama's obviously very close to my heart. I'm yep. marrying. <laughs> I'm marrying a, a girl from the heart of Dixie, and I know of Mo Brooks, and I know of Alabama politics through uh, you know all my exposure to it. Mo Brooks is your died-in-the-wall, red-blooded, Bible-belt Republican, and he would he came he came out uh, I remember this time last week actually, with his statement saying that Donald Trump himself tried to coerce him to vote against the certification of the election. Mm. So this is a bloke who went to Trump rallies, stood beside Trump all through the, you know, the the, the stolen election, the fault, the fake news, you know, all this, the big lie, essentially, as it's justifiably called. And he's come out and thrown Trump right in it to the point where Trump is actually not, Trump's no longer endorsing um, Mo Brooks for his re-election. I think he's up up in the midterms from memory, Mm. but he's no longer endorsing Mo Brooks. And Donald Trump is still head of the Republican Party, let's not forget. He's currently their only only nomination for president should an election be held at the end of this year, but, of course, he's got a couple of years to go yet. Mm. Um, So it's quite a big deal to see this this happening. So I don't know whether they're snitching the wind or they're realising the power and the momentum just isn't there anymore. Biden's job approval is the lowest it's been for his entire presidency. People are blaming a lot of of cost-of-living pressures on the Biden admin. But Trump is not really making a lot of inroads either because... He's basically just playing the same song. And I think people are realising, the longer this goes on, just how they've essentially stood beside a complete betrayal of their democracy. My books is a great example of that.
0: Mm. It's just horrendous. And I was actually reading on the weekend that uh, Trump has something like $125 million in the election um, bank account, basically, which is more than double both the uh, the Republican and the Democrats. We're going to be in big yes. trouble if he goes. We really are.
1: This is going to be very interesting as well, because he, he, he essentially has the Republican Party by the short and early, And for that very reason, he has his own war chest, which has been controversial sure in itself. Yeah. But yes, he tries to... He, he says, yes, I'm a Republican, but he's basically running on his own money, on his own sort of mantra. So, yeah, he, he, he might say that I'm with the party, but no, he's running entirely for himself. And they're getting to a point now where they're starting to go, are we the Trump Party? or the Republican mm. Party because it's, it's really quite chaotic.
0: They need to make a decision. They need to make it very quickly. Zach, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, it's nice to catch up with you and uh, you can go back to watching the Oscars now.
1: Yeah, it'll be a good evening, actually. There's some wonderful, wonderful creatives and very talented people nominated. So, you know, it'd be nice. And hopefully Cody smith McSee can take one home. And I don't know if Nicole will. Mm. I think Cody's a fair chance. He's a great young actor.
0: Well, listen, thank you for your time. You stay safe over there and we'll chat next week. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Let's talk to you, Pasimba. That is Zach Garrett live from LA and he joins us each and every Monday here to talk about what's happening over the other side of the world and how it impacts us right here in Newcastle. Newcastle in the Morning takes you through the big events and the most talked about stories of the day that matter to you and your life. From what's on to what matters.